Hi everyone, uh, Dave here, I'm your host. This is Legends of the Spire. This is the podcast where I speak to a former player or manager of Chesterfield FC about their career at Chesterfield and time in the sport generally. And this week it's episode number 81 as I had a chat with a proper legend of Chesterfield, uh, Sam Hurd. Now Sam, one of the top appearance makers at the club, uh, was with us from 2012 through to 2018, over six seasons. Uh, a fantastic defender, leader on and off the pitch, perfect in the tackle, good in the air, read the game perfectly, chipped in with a few goals. You can't ask for more of a player, uh, so it was an absolute delight to have a chat with him about his time at the club. He came in uh, from Doncaster uh, to Chesterfield under John Sheridan, uh, who only then lasted a few games before he left. And then Paul Cook eventually came into the club where we then won the League Two title, where Sam scored the winner and got an assist, as he will point out, uh, in that title decider against Fleetwood. Um, And then was a pivotal part in the uh, team that nearly got to the championship that season after. In the years following, he was still with us at the club, played under people like uh, Dean Saunders, Danny Wilson, Gary Caldwell. So we have a chat about all of those managers, how the club got into that spiral of despair that we ended up in, um, and some great memories and uh, thoughts along the way. Sam was brutally, fantastically honest. um, So it's a really, really insightful listen. So I thank him greatly for that. He is now um, at the PFA, uh, where he's working uh, as a play liaison. So... Um, doing a really, really important part uh, in the game. Uh, It's a time in which players really need good representation. The PFA do that brilliantly. And there's lots and lots of things always in the press about how the game is changing. They're there to protect the players uh, during all all of that happening. Uh, As always, I am at Spy Legends on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Legends of the Spy on Facebook, so it would be great to know what you think. And thanks again to Sam for coming on. I hope you enjoy the interview. Here we go. You're obviously like a Donny, um, a Donny lad. So, how did kind of and and I saw that although you started your youth career at Aston Villa and Leeds, wasn't it? But mm. when did your kind of uh, when did football first become a, a thing for you? I suppose first off, it's it's through you, you know your parents and and the the, the kids at school and, and things like that. And I started kicking a ball from a young age, uh, running up and down. My mum and dad owned nursing homes. Uh, when I was little and I used to run up and down the corridor with bow legs at, you know, two, three years old, kicking a ball up and down the nursing home corridor and all the old people watching me. So I suppose <laughs> from that age, I was kicking a ball. I went into grassroots um, really young. I, I always played a year up in grassroots, which I suppose a lot a lot might have done that, who ended up being professional footballers. I started off at Norton United, which is a village I'm from. Played there for a couple of years and, and really enjoyed grassroots football. And as you said, I then I got scouted for Aston Villa, which was probably something that, that shouldn't have been done because I was at Aston Villa and I, and I don't think it was really allowed because of the distance in mileage mm-hmm. that I was doing. Um, and I signed there and, and they came to me and said, I think it was about six months in, and said, look, we'd love to keep you, but we shouldn't have really signed you. We, you know, technically on on distance in mileage, it's not really correct. Mm. So what we've done is we've, we've spoke to clubs up in the, the region where you're from and Leeds United would like to sign you. Mm. Um, so I went up there and trained with them before obviously signing forms. And, and I was at Leeds from 10, 11 years old up until 18, 19, really, which was 
obviously a great academy, you know, and it is. Yeah, yeah. It took a dip and then came back up now to what to where it was when I was there, which is a, a category one academy, great facilities, great coaches, a really good football education. Um, and unfortunately, I wasn't good enough at the time. They were in the Premier League, and the year I left, they just got relegated to the Championship, and I wasn't at that time and, and at that age good enough to make the grade, or, or they didn't think I was good enough to make the grade there. Mm. So that's when I ended up um, going to Doncaster. Yeah, was it was it kind of a? I'm mean, I'm up in Leeds. I'm speaking to you from Leeds now. So I've had yeah. a few few former Leeds uh, uh, yeah. uh, academy youngsters with us. Um, like when you went to Doncaster, then was it? Mm. Did it just seem like a a perfect thing? Seen as well, obviously I'm a Doncaster you know, boy, but no, no, because obviously <laughs> you're leaving an academy that you've been. All I wanted to do was play for Leeds United. Yeah, so. Yeah. You know, even if I'd have made one appearance, it'd have been something to look back on proudly. But I didn't, unfortunately, not. But that builds that resilience in you, and and I suppose the next best thing in terms of a player getting released from an academy and going initially on loan and signing somewhere, the next best thing is is a good loan and a good club to go to. And like you say, Doncaster was a good fit for me, being a Doncaster boy, mm-hmm. um, playing you know playing for your hometown club where all your family, your friends are from. Um, and I was proud, really proud to sign there and represent them. And um, obviously, very, very soon in that journey, I ended up playing against Leeds at Wembley. Yeah, yeah. I think that was only right. maybe 12, 12 months later. <laughs> um, so, because yeah, because I went, I went there originally on loan. And the season I was on loan there, my first season there, Leeds got relegated from the Championship. They took a double relegation to the Championship mm-hmm. and then to... Uh, to League One and then that season was when we obviously played against them at the end of that season the playoff final at Wembley Was that quite nice then? <laughs> was oh, it yeah. it's kind of it perfect team to play against? It was brilliant yeah obviously you know Doncaster born and bred playing for your hometown club against the club that you originally always wanted to play for and got released from so mm. it was a huge moment for me and my family um, and and Luckily, I say luckily, but we were very good on the day. We came out on the right side of it. And it was just a really good experience. And some players might say, you know, oh, it, it wasn't it wasn't about getting one back on your old club. But being truthful, it is. Hmm. It is that. It is that. And I did have that feeling. You know, I felt that I was good enough to play for Leeds or at least be offered another contract to give me a bit more time to, to develop yeah. and then go and play for Leeds. Um so it was a nice feeling. A lot of the staff, obviously the first team staff were completely different to when I was there, but a lot of the staff behind the scenes, it seems in terms of the reserves and the 18s, they were all the same. I saw them after the game and they were really complimentary and, and they were pleased for me. They were pleased for me because they coached me for so long. Obviously they wanted Leeds to win, hmm. but they were pleased for me and, and um, they congratulated me, which is probably a difficult thing for them to do. But at the same time, they coached me for that long and I was a player that they were proud of. Does it make you more nervous or less nervous when it's set up like that? Oh, I was really nervous on that day. Genuinely, it's one of my, and I say it's a regret, but you can't control it. I don't actually remember playing. <laughs> I don't remember playing at all. Just adrenaline, nerves. I don't remember anything about during the game. About during the game. I don't remember it all. I remember afterwards when things have settled down and the emotions. Mm-hmm come down, but I, I don't remember anything about the game. Afterwards, I remember the celebrations and, and, and all the, the euphoria that comes with it. 
But I wish I remembered part of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any like pre pre match rituals or anything like that during when you were um, I suppose I had pre pre match routines. You know, I always like to tie one boot before the other. For example, um, I always like to do certain stretches and and things like that. I wouldn't say they were rituals because if I'd have forgot to do them, it wouldn't have fried my brain or anything like that. But mm -hmm. I certainly had routines. I think I think that's part and parcel of being a footballer. You know, you're brought up from a young age with standards and, and timekeeping and discipline and routine effectively you've lived your life in routine mm. so i think having a set routine would probably be quite common amongst professional footballers yeah is that do you do you still find yourself needing to enforce your own routines on yourself after uh, playing or do you relax yes. a bit no no i do and, and it's in the role i'm in now that's more difficult because at the minute, obviously, I'm working for the PFA and, and I largely plan my own calendar, hmm. um, which is something as a player and as a coach, you don't really do. The The football calendar kind of takes precedent and you follow the, you follow the football calendar. Yeah. You follow the, the times and the dates and everything that football brings with it. And when you're thrust out of that into something different, which is, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to take the role is to, is to, is to do something different, mm. um, it, it can be quite difficult. And, you know, you have to manage your own calendar and, and I'm sort of putting together my own routines now of what works for me. Mm. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask, it must be quite refreshing to, <laughs> to yeah. slash daunting to do something like that. It, it, yeah, it is. I think it would be for any anybody coming out of... Because working for the PFA, we are still heavily involved with the players. Obviously, it's the players' union and we're, we're here to represent and educate and help the players and work with the clubs, mediate with the clubs. Um, but if you're coming out of that environment where you are full, fully involved in the football as a player or a coach, to then being on the periphery of it, hmm. um, I suppose it'd be quite daunting for most. For most. But I am enjoying it. I'm, I love my role. I love what I'm doing. Like I said, you you know we're involved heavily with football, but whilst also being on the outside of it as well, so you're not in the the hectic hustle and bustle in terms of the schedule and the calendar, which is nice. Which is nice, you know. People will tell you, I will tell you, to, to be a professional footballer is the best job in the world, but it comes with so many sacrifices that you know that the the general population probably wouldn't see or wouldn't understand. Um, that's something we work hard on as a union at the minute, you know, trying to help the players in in their retro retrospective lives with the families and also trying to, you know, maybe introduce a winter break mm -hmm. is something that I know that Mahet is big on um, and time will tell on that one. Yeah. Well, I know I'm, I'm a big fan of like Simon Sinek and 
the things that he does and he, he always has the the thing where he talks about was whenever you want to achieve anything or do something at what cost mm. do you achieve that there's something has to give somewhere else doesn't it oh, you, yeah. you have to make sacrifices to Definitely. to be able to achieve Definitely. Well, you, you're sacrificing really the, the, and like I said, it's the best job in the world. So there's, you know, there's no complaints from me because I've lived probably majority of kids dreams. Um, but it comes with sacrifice, you know, time away from your family, time away from your kids, time away from your friends, time that you'll never get back, mm-hmm. um, missing out on things. There's all sorts that, that, as I said, that the, the general population would do and they would probably think nothing of it and it probably just comes normal to them. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, I'm in a role now where like 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 other jobs where you take your holiday days when when you feel you want them. That isn't an option in football. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just not an option. Paternity, maternity is always difficult, a difficult time for footballers. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it, it's certainly not easy. Yeah, I remember I had, had that conversation, that conversation with Ollie Banks about paternity mm. leave and how you manage things like that. Well, He's like, "Oh, my kid was born on a Friday. I played on the Saturday." <laughs> yeah, because he I didn't mean, want to lose his place in the team. Potentially, lose place in the team, and, and technically now as a player, because of the work of the PFA, you are allowed paternity. But if you take that paternity, a lot of players will turn around and say, "Well, I will lose my place in the team." Mm. You know, so you have that choice to make. That's um, that's obviously down to personal circumstances. They do have that option, but in in a an industry that they're involved in as players, um, sometimes taking a long paternity is not always the best option, especially when you're talking about lower league footballers who, you know, they they need to play for their bonus money. They need to play to earn that next contract. Um, so some of them are working on contracts year to year. So as a footballer, your job's never secure. Don't get me wrong, if you're one of the general public and you're looking at a Premier League or Championship footballer where because of their huge sacrifice and hard work and ability, they've made it to that level and the contracts are huge, the money's huge. So taking two two weeks paternity isn't so much of a problem to, to some of them, maybe. Um, but I think to a lower league footballer, it can be a... A, re- a really tough decision on on what you do in that respect. Mm. Like I say, especially if you clean sheet bonuses, paying your mortgage or something yeah, like that. Exactly, exactly. and and lovely footballers aren't aren't you know don't get me wrong that they're, they're earning good money, but they're not as well paid as what some people might think. Mm. Yeah, great. So so you played what 150 odd games for Doncaster, something like that, was it? And then you, yeah, actually... I, I always have this. Uh, I've just had a laugh. I've been, I've been at work this morning. I've been, I've been uh, into Lincoln City, and uh, Wikipedia doesn't always tell the truth. Uh, yeah. I played 157 games for Doncaster, and I played 237 for Chesterfield. They are the correct figures. Um, <laughs> you need to get a Wikipedia edit. This could be a PFA thing. You could be editing footballers' Wikipedias. No, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. It's just when you, you know <laughs> when you do things like this, you need to you need to put it on the record. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so what made so you then came to Chesterfield? What made you? What what? Uh, how did the chat with John Sheridan? What was his pitch to kind of uh, make that move? Um, you know what? I have got a regret about this looking back back on it because I've always been a team player, always, and I've never been one for. Um, I've always understood how dressing rooms work and what it takes to be a successful group. And I was at Doncaster and I'd had a 
great, great time there at Doncaster. Um, and, and Dean Saunders offered me a new two-year contract at the time. Um, I was out of contract. John Sheridan rang me. He offered me a two-year... Co- I'll, I'll, I'll be honest now, he offered me a two-year contract on more money. Um, but that that wasn't really the motivation. It was that he said he'd make me the captain. Mm-hmm. Now, I was at a stage where I was 24 years old and I felt like I, I wanted to... You know, like I said to you, I've never really gone somewhere unless I've got a purpose or I felt like I could add something. I'm really going to enjoy it. And I looked at it and I thought, Chesterfield, good club, good established manager. He's ringing me, telling me he wants to be his captain. He obviously sees me like I'm going to be a big part of things for him. And that's the reason I did it. Um, But I got asked that question why I'd signed for Chesterfield. When I signed for them, I got asked that question by the by the, the the media guys at Chesterfield. Mm-hmm. And I, I give them the same answer. Um, and I wish I didn't because we hadn't gone back in for pre-season yet. None of the squad knew that I was going to be named captain. And it wasn't really my place to say. Mm-hmm. That was something really that I should have left off record until John Sheridan told the players um, what what he was doing, so I, I felt I dealt I dealt with that part wrong. Not not like it made a, a big deal anyway, because they ended up sacking him for different reasons in three games <laughs> into the season. So it, it didn't really matter. But that was just a personal thing for me that I wish I'd have maybe give a different answer to that question initially. Um, but John sold it to me in terms of you know the size of the club, how he wanted to play. Um, the contract was the contract. It wasn't about the money it, for me. It was more about being a big part of hmm. of what he sold to me in terms of the captaincy and leading the club back to what he wanted, you know, to get the club promoted again. Um, and it wasn't to be, was it? Obviously, you know, I probably should have done my homework a little bit more because sacking a manager three games into the season quite clearly tells you that they were already thinking about that in pre-season. And that means that they're already thinking about in the off season. So why they even let him start the season? Yeah, is <laughs> uh, is 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 just silly, really. Um, so yeah, um, in regards to John, I, di- I didn't really work with him that long, um, but he was a you know a really good, really good guy. Obviously, clearly a, an experienced manager who's had a really good managerial career. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and he's full of. Uh... Enthusiasm, isn't he? An interesting character. Oh, he's an interesting character. I mean, I played with Richie Wellens, um, and and Richie Wellens reminds me a lot of John Sheridan, the type of character they are, the type of person they are, both successful in their own right, playing and managing. Um, and you can see why. You can see why. Like you said, they are interesting characters, but I think football without them characters wouldn't be football, personally. And you have to learn to be able to cope with them characters as well as, as a, if you're playing under them or coaching with them, you have to learn how to deal with different characters and, and different mentalities. Mm-hmm. How do you cope with that? Because like in any work, like in my job, in my workplace, if our director changed overnight yeah. and because someone else came in that was completely different, asking yeah. for a completely different style of work from us all and a yeah. completely different disciplinary style and things like that. How yeah. do you click into that? Well, in terms of a person, obviously, I, I'm obviously I met John Sheridan and, and Tommy, Tommy Wright, the assistant at the time, and, and they were all good people, Mark Crosley. Um, and in terms of an actual person, I don't think there was much difference in, in Paul Cook and John Sheridan, both really honest guys, both characters 
in the, in their own right. You know exactly what you're going to get from both of them, and you know it, they're both on, like I said, honest. So you know where you stand. So in terms of the actual characteristics as as people, they, they weren't much different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got the same vibe from both of them. Um, so that 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 I suppose was an easier tra- an easy ish transition for me that it wasn't two completely different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, both have that fire, that fight. Both speak, you know, good good in one on one situations with players, dealing with players, dealing with on the field and, and off the field things. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I from what I saw. Like I said, I didn't have John Sheridan for a long time, but two different styles of play. Two definitely two different styles of play. Um, which is something obviously we can have a chat about. But in terms of people, hmm. very similar, hmm. uh, in my in my opinion. Oh, and he's into the back of the net for Sam Hurd. Sam Hurd gets his first goal of the season. And we and we finished what eighth that season? You made like forty-one league appearances, something like that. That season, couple of goals um, in the league two season when Paul Cook came. Yeah, did I really? I didn't think I played that many. Yeah, I was looking. Uh, I've got season by season, and uh, yeah, forty-one appearances, two goals. I've got, um, yeah. and it was obviously the season where there was a bit of there was lots of people coming in and yeah, because obviously going out and Liam yeah, Cooper Tom and Lee. Lewis Boamorte. I know, yeah, Lewis <laughs> Boamorte and Tom. Tommy and Mark Crosley took charge of the team for, I mean, looking back, was it a couple of months? I don't know, maybe six weeks. I'm mm-hmm. not sure until, until Paul Cook came in. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of chopping change, which is normal in football when when there's a transition in manager and staff and players. That's normal. And that's something you just have to learn to get on with. That That's part of the job. It's, it, it's how the industry works. You see it now. Managers, they're probably only ever six games away from the sack, something like that. So... It's it's something as a player you have to get used to. Mm. And you played, so you you'd kind of moved around positionally a bit, didn't you? As well, in your time. Yeah, I didn't field. have a great. I, I didn't have a great season, and I'm surprised I played that many games. To be honest, I didn't have a great season at all. Um, I think probably John Sheridan leaving, maybe not upset any players, but. Um, it sort of spelled the end for quite a few players. Maybe were in that squad, mm. and, and that that can have a transitional effect. It was clear when I don't think we had a real set style of play um, up until the end, towards the end of the season. But even all that season, even when Paul Cook came in, it felt like we we're always battling mm-hmm. against something. Whether that was our style of play, injuries, different things happening off the pitch, which is to be expected, like I said, with with a transitional period. Um, and like I said, I don't I don't feel like I had a great season. I was chopped and changed in positions. Um, certainly when Paul when when, when Cookie came in, um, and I don't think that really helps any player. Hmm. To be honest with you, to be honest hmm. with you, but like I said, I, I don't feel personally like I had a, I had a good season anyway that year. Hmm. So did was there ever a point then that you potentially got close to kind of moving on or or leaving somewhere well, else? Well, well, not through my own choice. No, I mean, I remember at the end of the season and I understood it. Uh, Cookie had a chat with me, said he liked me as a player, but he'd, he'd brought Coops in. 
and he thought that we were in terms of two centre backs, we were quite similar in terms that we we both weren't dominant centre backs. You, you know, you you Ian Everett or people like that. We're, we're not me and Liam Cooper. We're, we're not dominant centre backs. Um, Coops obviously went on to have a great career, and he still is now. Um, you know, we had the the advantage, I suppose, that you're a left footed centre back, which mm. you know it's like gold dust finding a, a yeah, good yeah. left footed centre backs. And Coops was a very good player, but he, he just said, you know, I brought Cooper in. You're both very similar players. I want a dominant centre back in. Um, I can't promise you game time. Um, I'm going to put you on the transfer list because I'd, if if somebody comes in for you, I, I would like to um, consider letting you leave. I stated that I didn't want to leave and I wanted to fight for my place, um, which he respected. Like I said, we had we had no, we got along really well. Um, he was like he was honest. He was always right with me, and I was always right with him. I, I knew how to stand up for myself and fight my corner as well in in the correct way. Um, but I said, I, you know, I think we kind of left it that we'd would go away. Everybody sort of have a few weeks off, enjoy the summer, and um, whatever happened happened. Um, I had a couple of offers come in for me that that I didn't like in the off season, um, so I didn't take them, and I didn't even report them back to the club because even if I did, they weren't right for me, so I wasn't going to mm-hmm. go. Um, and I was of the mindset that that I wanted to fight for a place, and and. That's really how I've been brought up. Is mm-hmm. is you fight a fight until somebody says, "No, you are gone," kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so I came back in for pre-season, and I'd been doing a lot of training in the off-season. I had that mentality that I really wanted to prove him wrong. That, mm-hmm. That's the mentality that I really wanted to prove this guy wrong. I'd I'd come in from Doncaster Rovers twelve months ago to be the club captain, um, probably seen as a big signing at the time. Um, and I wanted to show that, you know, I wanted to show what a good player I could be. Um, so I came for pre-season and first couple of weeks, we had loads of players in on trial. So many players in on trial, um, different positions, four or five players in each each position. Um, and Portsmouth came in for me on loan. Hmm. And they came in for me through the club. So I'd, Cookie found out and told me about it, and I made my stance clear that that I I still didn't want to go. I wanted to fight for my place, but I would listen to them because Portsmouth's a big club. I thought if he doesn't want me here, and it had been, it was about it was about two or three weeks into pre-season, the games program had just started, um, and so I said I'd speak to them. Anyway, I spoke to them, and they said we want to take you on loan, but we'll only pay half your money. Um, and Chesterfield didn't like that. They didn't like it. So they kind of put the buffers on it and, and said no. So then I went in to see Paul Cook and I said, look, you know, you've put me on the transfer list. You've put me, I haven't requested to be on the transfer list. I haven't asked to leave. You've put me on the transfer list. Portsmouth have come in and offered half my money. And now you're telling me that I can't go. That that, that doesn't make sense to me. I understand that, that uh, they won't pay me all wages and you want them to, but you knew my wages when you made this decision to put me on the transfer list as a League Two player. The chances are that no club in League Two is going to pay all my money or or pay a fee for a centre-back. It just mm-hmm. doesn't happen. Yeah. Especially to one who's been put on the transfer list. It's not like a club coming in and saying, oh, he's been on five for two years, he's a 19-year-old centre-back, we'll offer you 400 grand. Like... Mm-hmm. 
you basically put me in a position and, and someone's coming to offer, offer you as a club and, and me a way out of it and you're not doing it. So what's going on? And he said, look, we're just not doing it. And, and that kind of messed with my head a bit then. Um, so we carried on through pre-season. Anyway, I ended up playing a lot of pre-season games mm-hmm. and playing really well, really well. And I thought to myself, he's playing me in every game here. Yeah, he's told me he wants, to leave. He wants me to leave, but he's playing me in every game. And he's actually picking me against the stronger towards the end of preseason. Now he's picking me against the stronger teams, so he clearly likes what I, what, what I'm mm-hmm. showing. Um, and then I end up starting the season. I end up starting the season playing the first ten games, and we're, we're top. I think we're top of the league or near the top of the league after ten games, absolutely flying. And I've got the media and everybody saying to me, like you, like you did at the beginning of this, what you know, what's happening? Are you still wanting to leave? And I'm. I'm saying I never wanted to leave. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the transfer list because the club have put me on the transfer list. Like, I don't have a choice in that. But I don't want to leave. I'm happy. I'm playing. I'm exactly where I want to be. Um, so it was a good start to the season. And and I think Cookie was getting them similar sort of questions. And I think it, it got to a point probably where I'd proved myself that much that I was a big player for the club mm-hmm. and a big player for him that he actually did a U-turn on it completely and and thought, you know, I've got a good lad here. I've got a good player who's willing to give me everything and 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 uh, I'm going to have to take him off the transfer list. Otherwise, I'm going to keep getting asked questions and, and he, probably thinking, well, if somebody does come in for him, I don't even want to let him go now anyway. Um, and that was that. He pulled me. Uh, he just said, look, this is what I want to do. I'm, I'm really impressed. I, I want to take you off the transfer list. If you want to be here still, I want you here, which is, you know, the answer was always yes. And then it was a really strong season from there in general, really. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, thanks for being so honest with all that. Because it was I remember back at the time that they were like, oh, he's on the transfer list. And then, you know, but he was like marquee signing under John Sheridan. We kind of, you know, yeah. I think all of us, although you say yourself, you maybe didn't have the best season that first one. We all quite liked you. And then, and then obviously then you start playing really well. And now there's probably like a, if there was a dictionary of, Chesterfield players and a meaning next to it that I think mm. it's probably been used in many years since they'll be like oh he's done a Sam Hurd when he's like proving yeah. the manager wrong it's kind of become yeah. one of those things over the following years of that um, it's, that listen, it, it, and it, yeah and it, and it does take a tough the, there might not be many players who'd think like that but it, it does take you know a bit of self self-belief and, and mm-hmm. resilience to say no I'm I'm going to show this manager wrong like, and to be put it's not like a manager's you're a bit out of favour you know, I was put on the transfer list, yeah. which is probably as bad as it gets in terms of somebody saying, "I don't want you." Mm. So yeah. yeah, it's um, it's a pretty good story. Yeah, it takes a lot of mental strength as well, especially if you come in as captain, <laughs> and then yeah, and then manager yeah. goes, new manager comes in, all of that happens. Quite yeah, and then and then, more, and then even more mental strength when a club comes in for you that you actually think, oh, if they really want me to leave, at least I've had a decent offer off a decent club. And then the club say, "No, you're not going." So that's even, <laughs> even more like, "What is going on here?" It's um, yeah, yeah, only it was, in football. It was, yeah, only in football, <laughs> only in football. But like I said, I had a good relationship with Paul Cook. He was, he was a good manager, and his, his staff were really good, and, and I developed under them. Um, and it's no surprise to see him doing well now. Hi everyone, uh, future Dave here. Uh, since we recorded the podcast, me and Sam. Sam just wanted to clear something up a bit on that uh, section about that potential move to Portsmouth that never happened. He wanted to stress that it was actually the club 
uh, that turned down that um, opportunity because of the wages uh, and things like that, and it wasn't Paul Cook. Um, so uh, he just wanted to stress that because he always had a really good relationship with Paul Cook, as you can tell in the uh, interview that we've recorded. Played a lot of games, under him a lot of success, uh, always really um, got on well with each other. Uh, so he just wanted to stress it was the club that actually turned down that move and not Paul Cook. Um, back to past Dave and Sam for the rest of the interview. Here we go. I spoke with I've spoken with people like Nathan Smith and Drew Talbot and uh, mm-hmm. and people like that and they talked about when uh, they kind of came uh, when Paul Cook came in um, he would kind of have he would kind of I think it was Nathan Smith maybe that said he like slid him a piece of paper and said <laughs> can you do this <laughs> and they kind of said mm-hmm. yeah and then he and then they kind of went on from there so what was his kind of like general expectations as a player in the squad and then what were your like individual positional expectations what did you want from you in your position in terms of his general expectations for the team yeah because i know he talks a lot about culture and habits and trust and and yeah and And like i said i think they're all his habits is you know a positive demanding culture with good standards high standards um Trust is a two-way street, and I think he builds that trust from himself to the players. He is a manager, like I said, he's very honest. You can trust him. You know exactly where you stand. You know exactly what's coming. If you've done something good or something bad, you, you know what's coming. Um, and I think he builds that, and that's one of his biggest traits: is how good he is as a manager um, before he even gets on the grass. You know, he's a good coach, but as a, as a manager, he's very good. He had this thing at Chesterfield where you could see he certainly relied on, there was a number of us, uh, myself included, where you kind of ran the dressing room as as well in terms of what he expected and, and how he expected people to behave and, and demand from each other. Um, and he looked after us as well. He looked mm. after us as well. If he ever felt we needed a break, it would be a recovery day, things like that. Um, as times evolved... I'm sure he's developed as well as a manager, just like coaches do, just like I did as a coach, uh, being at Barrow, then at Bolton. You mm-hmm. develop, you, you learn new things, you be open-minded as to what different advancements you can make. Um, and I'm sure he's done that, and, and that's why he's succeeding now at, at Chesterfield again. Yeah. And and that title-winning uh, season then, oh, it, was so, mm. it was so good. It was such mm. good fun. They brought in an amazing yeah. group of players that all just yeah. seemed to hit the ground running from the off. And looking back, um, I kind of forget the fact that the kind of the title, actual title itself was decided right on the, right at the end of the season, wasn't it? In which you scored. And assisted. 
and assisted. <laughs> so which was <laughs> which which was which was better for you, like the Burton getting promoted, or was it the uh, the, the, Fleet the Fleetwood getting the goal? Fleetwood, definitely Fleetwood for me personally. Definitely the goal, and obviously assisting Gary Roberts. All the listen, it was just a little layoff, but it's still an assist. Still counts, yeah. yeah. It's still an assist. <laughs> uh, no, Fleetwood. I think because it was at home. Uh, Burton was away, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fleetwood because it was at home as well. Was obviously that's what sticks in my mind. And like I said about the Doncaster game against Leeds, what I didn't remember. I remember everything about the Fleetwood game. Hmm. I remember the game, the build-up, everything afterwards. And I think that probably comes with age as well because. You take things in a lot more. Mm-hmm. You take things in a lot more. You enjoy the moment because you, you know, as a footballer, it's, it's a short career. I think once you get to sort of twenty-five plus, you know, I started taking things in a lot more as a player and, and enjoying the moment. Mm. Yeah, and is there more? Is when you've secured promotion, but then you mm. kind of go in for that top spot. Um, what's it like in that situation in the build-up to it? Because you must kind of Relax a little bit, and that you kind of yeah. got part of the job done. Yeah, you do. You don't I wanna... think, no, I think I think I think I think it was a good position we found ourselves in because you know, like you say, you're promoted, but you want to win the league. But there's mm. that little bit of pressure off because you've 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 done that, you've succeeded in your main goal, which is to get promoted. So then it becomes about how do we perform the best? Mm. How do we perform the? You can you can focus all your minds on performance. Whereas before the Burton game, it felt a lot more like let's get the job done. Mm-hmm. Like today's a job, we have to get the job done. Whereas Fleetwood is more about. I, I felt it was more about let's go out and perform. Let's really give the fans a good show. Let's let's perform. And I think we were a team that had good footballers in it. Everybody could handle the ball, so we knew we could perform well, and we did. We did in terms of the overall game. I thought we played. I thought we were the best team throughout the game. Mm throughout the game from start to finish. Yeah. Was that kind of your favourite season then at Chestfield? Because there's, um, there's many of them. Because obviously the season after we went... I think, I think probably the season after was my favourite. Touching the, yeah. touching that elusive, hopeful yeah, championship season one day. Yeah, the, the League Two season getting promoted was a really good season. But I think my favourite was the, the following season when we uh, when we got to the playoffs. And obviously Sam Klukas missed that big chance at Preston, mm. which I think would have changed the game. I really do think that's a, a game-changing moment. Um, but I, I really did enjoy that League One season because, you know, you're, you're back playing at a, a level which is a, it's a really good level and it's even stronger now, League One. When you look at when I coached in League One for the last two and a half seasons, the, 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 the levels have just improved. The intensity of the games got quicker, faster, stronger. Um, but... But it was a really good season and came up against some tough opposition and we played really well. And I actually missed probably three months of that season early on um, with a, with a knee injury. Um, but I came back because I started that season really well. Mm-hmm. First two months, I got injured. We brought in Margarita, Margarita yeah, yeah. that season and, and he kind of filled in for me while I was injured. Then I came back and, and, and walked straight back into the team once I was fit and, and carried on from where I'd left off. Mm. And had a really good season again, and, and unfortunately, we just fell short. Yeah, it's it's funny. Sam Sam Clucas has been on the podcast. He says he still thinks about that chance at least once a week. Yeah, yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, the team dynamic at that time from that like title winning League Two, and then 
playoffs in yeah. League One. There was kind of those little partnerships all over the pitch, kind of weren't yeah, there? It was just, quite a tight, yeah. tight team. Was it kind of on and off the pitch? No, yeah, always talk carried, about good dressing rooms and things like that, don't yeah. they? It just carried through. It just carried through, and it was it was such a good group for so many different reasons. I mean, for example. Example, Sammy Mosey, who I, who I speak to now and again now, I have a good relationship, I get along really well with Sammy, but we argued. We, we, me and Sammy had numerous arguments, numerous where it was almost, you know, we were all, almost fighting. But, the you know, I'd like to think there was that mutual respect there as well and we got along really well and we and I still speak to him now. Mm. Like I said, not much, but when I speak to him, it's, it's always a, a good conversation. Um, but that was kind of the dynamic anyway in the dressing room because we all got along really well, but we weren't afraid to hold each other accountable either. We weren't afraid to have a, an argument or a dust up, providing, you know, it, it, once it was done, it was done. You moved on from it. And uh, it just kind of carried on from, from League Two into League One. I think that's why we had relative, relative success in, in League One. Added to the fact that I felt it was a really good group of players in general um, that were more than equipped to play and and. and succeed in League One. And Hurd, Shaman! Well, it was as simple as that in the end. Sam Hurd in the 86th minute gets his second goal of the season and puts the Sparites 1-0 up. Is there a bit of an adjustment that has to take place? Because obviously you went up from League Two to League One with pretty much the same team, couple of additions and mm. things like that. But then opposition will play differently against you. So um, like I remember talking to Paul Cook about Owen Doyle and how he'd only played, how he'd only scored kind of less than 15 yeah. goals that first season. And then he's scoring, it's like top of the goal scoring in Europe or whatever, because yeah. teams were kind of... Um, hitting us a little bit more so you could kind of exploit his pace a little bit more. How how easy is it to adjust? I felt for that team it was really easy to adjust because mm. of the type of team we were. Personally, I, f- I felt like the, the style of play and, and how we approach games was more suited to, to League One. And I think that's why it was an easier adjustment. I mean, don't get me wrong, if you're a, a different type of team, you might be more suited to League Two and you might find it a struggle to adjust to League One. But I, I felt we adjusted really well. Um, don't get me wrong, because we were quite an expansive team who like to play on the front foot, you can get punished. You can get punished, but I think it served as well as a whole and, and in general throughout the season. And, and like I said, I think the adjustment was was pretty quick. Yeah. It, it, interesting, this season he's been talking about the defence um, and how he likes his fullbacks to be higher than his uh kind of central defensive pairing um, yep. and kind of a couple of times people have got caught, uh, the fullbacks getting caught behind the centre-backs and things like that. Was it kind of similar back then? Was it down to you two centre-backs to kind of hold, hold a well, line? Liked, you? I remember he, 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 with that team, he liked his two centre-backs and his two midfielders. So it was on like, like a box. That mm-hmm. was the, that was effectively the protection was with the two midfielders in front and his fullbacks. He wanted to go and, and join in. Um, so I haven't seen Chesterfield much this season, um, but I would presume it's very similar. Um, but yeah, that was kind of his thing at the time was he did like the two centre-backs and two midfielders as, as almost like your safety box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's You probably, if you came and watched us this season, you'd probably say, oh, that's the that's the Gary Roberts. 
that's the Owen yes. Doyle. That's because yeah. it does seem like there's players that do kind of fit that same uh, yeah same mold. Same and, that, mold. And, that, and that's what takes a good manager is you know like I said on the coaching side, I've, I've been at Bolton for nearly three years, and I think you you end up being able if you're in a job long enough, you end up being able to recruit players for the positions you want. Mm-hmm. So it's like player profiling, really, because you want to play a certain way. You want your centre-backs to be able to do certain things, your full-backs, your wide forwards, your midfielders, all to have certain attributes and certain strengths. Granted, they're going to have weaknesses because players in National League, League One, League Two, all have weaknesses, but you, you want to find them strengths that are in a player suited to what you want to deliver on a match day as a manager mm-hmm. or coach. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, I ask everyone that kind of played in that team, but if we'd have kept that squad together um, mm. for another season, yeah, we'd have kind of had a good had a good shot at top yeah, two, I think. We'd have had another good go at it, definitely. Yeah. And uh, that was the disappointing thing, wasn't it? Because obviously Cookie and his staff left, a few players left. It was clear from the top what the club wanted to do. Um, and, you know, it's um, it was disappointing. But at the same time... It, it, from a business point of view, it, maybe it's understandable. Um, and fans always want more, don't they? You know, I remember looking back at the season after that and we'd finished, I think it might have been 15th, 16th off the top mm-hmm. of my head. I'm not sure. And we'd done okay. We'd done okay. And it was, was it Danny Wilson? Yeah, it was. It started yeah. off with Dean Saunders, didn't it? And then uh, ended off with... Yeah. Danny Wilson, yeah. Danny Wilson. And I thought when Danny came in, he did a really good job. Uh, you know, Dean Saunders, that wasn't obviously a good time at the football club. And I think, um, obviously, fans will always voice their opinion when they want a, a change. Um, and unfortunately, that's just the way it is for managers. And I think we had some bad results under Dean Saunders. I don't. Th- I was in and out under Dean Saunders. His, his style of play and his interpretation of what a centre-back should do probably wasn't exactly what I am. Mm-hmm. He, he would probably have preferred two dominant centre-backs who just heard it and kick it, yeah. to be honest with you. That's probably what, what, what he would uh, interpret a centre-back to be in his team. Um, so I was in and out under Dino. Again, I had a good relationship with him and... and I always knew where I stood, but I just didn't play as much. And, and I disagreed with it. I disagreed with sometimes I didn't disagree to him. Obviously, I kept my opinions to myself, but I, I disagreed with some things that he, he tried to implement. Um, and unfortunately, you never want to see a manager lose his job. And unfortunately, he lost it. And Danny came in and I thought Danny did really well. I thought Danny did really well in, in that season to steady the ship. I thought we played some, we had some good, good, games under Danny some really good mm-hmm. games good wins you know we 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 didn't quite hit the heights in terms of a style of play that Cookie had introduced but we certainly had some good games where we played a, you know some good football in some of them matches um and, and he did a, he did a lot on on not a lot as well didn't he because yeah. he wasn't really supported really in the way that some previous managers or definitely, managers after him were was he Definitely not. And the season he got sacked, I don't think he should have got sacked. I think it was the. Mm. I, I think sacking Danny Wilson was the biggest mistake the club made, that led to the the, the decline. Personally, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, th- I think many fans would agree now. And yet, I, I suppose at the time, like you say, at the time fans of, would have been asking for him to go. Yeah, fans getting a cycle of of yeah. you know, especially when you've had those heights of nearly the championship and you're starting to dream a bit, and then yeah. fans do get in this kind of cycle. 
Um, but then kind of clubs, don't you? Who like Chesterfield are one of them who just plummet, or clubs that eventually fold. Um, to know that actually Danny Wilson was doing a good job on on the budget we probably had, he was doing a really good job. And I think, yeah, I think the biggest mistake for me, the club have made. Obviously, it, it was a mistake not to give Paul Cook more money and have a go at it. But the biggest mistake from a club perspective, I think, was sacking Danny Wilson. Mm. Yeah, and certainly from when I spoke to Danny Wilson, he's, he said, I was surprised that when I went and Gary Caldor came in, they gave him loads of money. <laughs> it's like, where, yeah. where was all that when I was here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what was, did you, uh, before we move on, did you go to the, um, a few players talked about the um, the night in Liverpool when Cook kind of said he was going to go and everyone had a bit of a, everyone had a bit of a night out. Um, yeah, yeah, I was there. It was kind of an end end of an era, wasn't it? Really, uh, yeah, then. yeah. And like I said, he was always honest with us. He was always honest, and yeah, he told everybody. Which, which um, I think on the night it came as a surprise. Hmm. It came as a surprise to a lot of players. Um, and what transpired from that was when again he was he'd already told us he was leaving on that night out. So we ended up having a few beers, and and, and like you do, you're sort of like celebrating the end of a, an era. Um. But then the following weeks to that, more came out, and and obviously, Paul Cook and his staff were close with a few of the. the he obviously knew Gary Roberts and other players, and things people talk in football anyway. And it soon went through that they were cutting the budget and they were going to be selling players and and things like that. Um, so again, you were in that transitional period. Mm. You were back into that transitional period for a football club. Yeah, and and then your experience really came into to the fore really because a lot of those experienced players and big players kind of moved on um, and you're kind of one of the core that was left at that time did you have to take more of a leadership role at that time yeah I think obviously you've got players like me and Evo and Tommy Lee at the time and and maybe a couple of others I can't remember them if uh, who it was exactly Um, you know we knew what needed to be done to sort of steady the ship so whatever manager comes in, listen, we're going to have to pull together and, and and produce and produce and make sure that everybody knows what a good football club you're, you're part of and you can still be successful. Um, Dean Saunders came in and I just felt like he tried to rip it up too much. Hmm. Even though we'd lost a number of good players, we still had a lot of good players there. Still had a lot of good players. And... Because we've been so successful in a certain way. For me, if I was a manager coming into a club where they'd had success and they'd been a strong unit, and I, t- I would take that all into account. And mm-hmm. I know managers want to come in and stamp their own authority. Why try to fix something too much that's not broken? Yeah, and, yeah. and I just, I just felt like there was added to the fact that there was already a big transitional period and a lot of change with some players going, manager and staff going, it was all about, it felt to me like a new manager come in and let's change it even more. Let's change more. Let's do this. Let's do this. And some people probably bought into that. Some, some people probably didn't. Um, and unfortunately it didn't work. Hmm. Yeah. It didn't work. One thing from that season, you got player of the season, didn't you? That season, 15, yeah. 15, 16 yeah. season. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. And, and if Dean Saunders was there, I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> Being honest, I probably wouldn't have. Um, but Danny came in, and Chris Morgan, and uh, Danny had a. Danny was different to when I said like Paul Cook and John Sherman were similar characters. Dan, Danny was a different character. Danny was more calm, 
and it was like a steady hand and you could just tell straight away that he'd managed so many games. Mm -hmm. He'd seen everything and done it and he had that aura about him that he was definitely the manager Um, and he was calm, he was collected, he knew what he was talking about and then he brought in Morgs, who was obviously, he'd had a great career as a player and I still speak to Morgs now, another one who's black and white, you know, exactly what you're going to get, you know, where you stand, good coach Um, and I thought I thought they were a good combination, and I just felt like they they hit the right notes with us with with the budget they had, mm-hmm. um, and I felt like I played good football under, under Danny. It's, you're rattling up the appearances each season, like you say. You had a bit of a gap in the playoff season, but yeah, you know, forty appearances. I think that was, my, that, that was my only. Obviously, the, the the final season when I had some bad injuries. Mm. Um, my only real gap in the in the five years because I was there six years. So yeah, in the five years before that was was that uh, three months, yeah. 10, 10, 10, 12 weeks in the in the first year of League One, mm. where I was out for a sustained period. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was a collision injury. Mm. So something really it's it's hard to avoid. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're, we're rattling on. We're getting to the end of Chesterfield. Uh, but, um, uh, and then Gary Caldwell. Yeah, so it all went a bit, like you say, wrong decision getting rid of Danny Wilson. Um, I think as a supporter, I think we take some of the blame for that because there's kind of fans that were shouting for him to be out, which was completely yeah. a decision. But then Gary Caldwell came in and it just never, never happened. No, it didn't. And, and do you know what? He was a really good coach. Really good coach, you, you know. He, he knew what he was talking about. He knew what he wanted to deliver. The lads tried to buy into it. Honestly, the group was really trying for him, really trying for him. And that's probably the one where I just can't quite put my finger on it. Why? Hmm. That that is honestly the, the the one manager where I can't quite put my finger on why because he understood he was coming into a group that needed needed help he tried to help he, he, he coached he was relentless in his work his standards were good he, he put everything into it and he was a really good guy Gary Corwell uh, in terms of coaching and, and looking after the group when he initially came in um, I'm sure you may have spoke to some people about what he was like towards the end I don't know who you've spoke to yet <laughs> uh, we went away for pre-season and he brought in Jerome Binham Williams a week before. He got injured in pre-season for three months. Uh, we had a couple of other players who he'd signed who broke down in pre-season. It seemed like everything was against Gary Caldwell. Like it, was, it was always something was always going wrong. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately for him, that never quite helped him get going. Um, so yeah, he, he really did try, and he was a good coach. But things just didn't quite work out, and I, and I can't put my finger on why mm. we didn't get more results under him. Yeah, and like you say, once once a club gets on a bit of a spiral, yeah, it's it just hard felt for like, anyone to stop it. it really, just isn't it? felt like a downward spiral, and I do genuinely believe it started with sacking Danny Wilson. That's not saying Gary Caldwell was a poor manager because Gary mm. Caldwell was a, a good coach and he's managing at Exeter now, doing well and he'd done well at Wigan. Um, but I just feel like it was an uphill battle that we never seemed to get hold of under Gary Caldwell. Yeah, yeah. So last season then. Um, relegation season uh, to the non-league, and it was 
like I say, so many big key players got oh. big injuries, didn't they, over that season, which just... I think we lost me, Tommy Lee and Evo in the space of a month. Mm. And that was around New Year, wasn't it, I think? was it? Yeah, I think Evo was... Uh, we were all struggling in December. Mm. We were all... We were all I'd been struggling, to be honest with you, I'd been struggling since September. I'd had, I'd had injections in October and November to play through my injuries. Evo was the same. He was having injections in his hip. Tommy was having problems with his shoulders, with one of his shoulders, sorry. Um, and and eventually it all came to a head December, New Year time, but it was it affected our performances a long time before that. We're all kind of trying to battle to stay on the pitch for the club, mm. um, which is probably, you know... <sighs> In hindsight, is it the right thing? No, but if you've got a squad, you you wouldn't do it. If you had a, if you had a good enough squad, and I, you know, at the time, I think we all felt that we needed to try and and play on and get some points on the board. Um, mm. And I think, I think, me, Evo, and Tommy were all from from Christmas onwards. We were we were all done, done. Mm. And I know Evo came back for the last couple of games, but he was nowhere near ready. He was nowhere near fit. Again, he was doing it to try and to try out the club. Yeah. I remember talking to Tommy Lee and he was saying there was a point where he knew he couldn't dive to his right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was no like in, in matches well, thinking, if they Tommy shoot that said, side, they scored. Tommy had said to me, he said, you have to protect me that side. If they're going to shoot, try and make them shoot the other way. Like That's literally where it got to a point with, he'd say to me, because we had a great relationship and we were, like I said, we were always accountable with each other. And he'd say to me, he'd say, look, I struggle to dive that way. So if you can show him that way, just, he said, even if you overshow it the other way, I'm confident I'll save it if it's the other way. So, you, you know, I'm adjusting my game and so are other defenders to almost show strikers half a goal, half of the goal to shoot at because your goalkeepers said, look, I need you to show them that way. And Tommy Lee was obviously a great goalkeeper, a great servant for the club. And when you've got a goalkeeper that is that good and he knows he's near the end, he knows he's ready to break, it's it's not nice. Mm. And it shows... It shows- that how that core group of you all kind of really cared about yeah. about trying to turn that all around and was yeah. was part of it playing under playing under Jack as well the kind of I know it was yeah I played under Jack very very Jack was a bit like uh, the John Sheridan one for me in terms of I, I wish I'd have played under John for longer and I wish I'd have played with Jack for longer because mm. um, Jack was very demanding very very demanding. Um, and again, I was used to that because I played at Doncaster under Wellens and people like that, and I'd been brought up on it. I'd been brought up on having to adjust and and be held accountable by demanding characters. Um, so Jack was obviously an excellent player throughout his career and, and really good striker for Chesterfield, and that's why he scored so many goals. That's why he's got the reputation that he has. Mm. Um, and I suppose, yeah, that things get passed down, don't they, from good professionals to other ones. And, and Tommy had been with Jack for a long time. Probably his standards got passed down. I got I had standards passed down from different players to me. Jack was certainly one of them, and it's no surprise that Jack's gone on to be a very successful and uh, demanding coach. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. he is. <laughs> <laughs> so then your kind of time at Chesterfield comes to an end. Did we miss a bit of a trick not giving Ian Everett the job? Um, time. because it was yeah. Well, yeah. In hindsight, now we obviously go. In hindsight, yeah. Personally, I thought the way that the club dealt with me and Evo was really disappointing. Really disappointing. Andrew Talbot. Mm. Andrew Talbot. Um, 
you know, like, ever obviously they could have offered him the job. They could have offered him a player, a player assistant role. They could have offered me an extension of a year to get back fit and come and play for the football club, which is something that me and Evo obviously wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they, they certainly missed a trick with with what he's done in his managerial career now in not giving him the role or, or at least giving him a role, whether that's assistant or player coach, something like that. And they certainly missed a trick in terms of not doing the same with me in terms of a, a playing role. I'd been I'd been at the club, or with both. I've always been there in two stints over over a, lo- a long period. I've been at the club six years, and like you said, I'd never missed a game apart from in that five year period. I had a ten week layoff last season. Obviously, I had bad injuries, but I I felt I deserved more. I mm. felt I deserved more and a lot more loyalty from a club that I'd shown loyalty to. Certainly, going back to the days when Paul Cook came in, and I could have left. Mm. I could have easily pushed him. I could have easily pushed a move. If I'd have wanted to and gone somewhere. Um, so I felt, you know, I felt it was pretty poor. I felt it was pretty poor and I felt let down. Mm. I felt let down, you know, even if they'd have said to me, look, we'll give you a six month contract. You come in in pre season, you prove your fitness. I'd have signed it. Yeah. yeah. No, problem. no problem. And I, th- I felt let down personally. And I know Evo did as well. Mm. Yeah. Did, did those things during that time, obviously, there's loads of upheaval as well on ownership level or board level or things like that. Does that feed through into the into the dressing room quite a lot or do you keep yourself quite separate from it? What, in terms of at the end of the season when you're out of contract? Well, yeah, and just and just generally over that period because it was it was kind of things happening in AGMs and, and stuff like that, wasn't there? Yeah, I think in that last season, obviously Gary got sacked and then Guy Branston took over and Jack came in. I think I'm right mm-hmm. in saying that. Yeah, yeah. Um and, and there was things going on and throughout that season, um Guy Branston was the I think he was the head of football when Gary took over. He was mm-hmm. at a recruitment or something like that. And I don't think that relationship really worked. Um and I'm not sure what was going on behind the scenes with the club and that and and who was what the processes were for for signing players, coaching, managing, team selection. I'm not really sure what the processes were there, whether Gary had a bit of a battle mm. with, with those above him or those who thought they were above him. Um, Jack obviously came, came in and wiped the slate clean and, and I think he had uh, basically whole power in, in trying to keep us up um, and it wasn't to be. Um, but in terms of when you're out of contract, you don't really hear what goes on from above. Like I said, I, I was disappointed because... We weren't told. We weren't yeah. told. We weren't told. I, I found out that I was being. I think the first time I found out was someone sent me a Twitter shot or or something oh. from the club. Yeah, I think that was the first time I'd found out. Um, I'd been sent a message saying, and it said, "Heard Talbot and Everett contracts not to be renewed." So that I then phoned Ashley Carson, I think it was, and uh, he then sent me a, a, a lovely letter. Um, or email, I think it was, or it might have been a message. He, he wrote back in a, in a nice way, um, saying, yeah, my contract, just to let you know, we thought we'd let you know in advance. And I was thinking, well, no, I've just asked you. <laughs> I've just been sent something. So don't make out like you're just telling me. I've been here six years, and, and nobody from the club's had the courtesy to ring me, message me, or anything to let me know what's happening. And I've had to ask you, basically to prompt you, to let me know what's happening. So it was disappointing, really disappointing, really poorly handled. Mm. Um, 
and which was sad because I'd been treated throughout my six years at the club correctly. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say I've been treated really well because you're an employee. Yeah. So you don't you shouldn't expect to be treated really well. You don't want preferential treatment. You just want to be treated fairly. Mm. And I had been. I've been treated fairly at Chesterfield for six years, and I'd like to think I re- I reciprocated that by being a loyal player and, and performing well for the club. And I just felt like the way it was all handled was disappointing. And like I said, I think I should have been offered something to go on and play for the club. And I, th- I think genuinely think if they'd have offered me something, I'd have been there for another three or four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really do. Whether and, and I think that I'd have gone naturally from playing into coaching and so on and so forth. Mm, yeah. That's interesting. Um, how that, I've, certainly from an Ashley Carson point of view, uh, fans don't have, uh, I was going to say much yeah. love. Any, any but, love. But, but again, <laughs> Ashley had always been right with me. Mm. So whether it came from above him. Yeah. yeah you just been. don't know. Ashley had always been right with me as a person. And I know obviously he had a lot of his, he had a lot of criticism from, from different avenues, but personally he'd always been right with me. He'd always been, good with me at the football club. You know, we used to go in after games up, up and, and, and have a beer with the fans or whatever. And he was always approachable. He was always honest. And it just, mm. it was just how it ended. Yeah, was, yeah. It was it was almost completely out of character for the club that I had been at for six years, mm. which, was, which was a surprise. Can football, I, I guess football can leave a very bitter taste in your mouth. I've spoken to loads of footballers that, when they've finished playing, have said, don't watch football anymore. Really? <laughs> don't really yeah. want anything to do with it. You know, they kind of have to step away from it for quite a period of time because yeah. it, it, things do happen over that period. What's it What's it like for you? Obviously, you're still in football. But... Yeah, I can't, I can't say I'm the same. And maybe that's just from my experiences throughout my career from being young mm. all the way. Like, and I said to you, football moves fast. You have to learn to, you have to learn to move with it and adapt. And there's no point looking backwards. So no, I, I hold no bitterness at mm. all. Not really at all. Um, I don't, I'm not really the type of person to, to hold a grudge unless somebody's been, you know, completely rude or, or anything like that. If if they've done something they feel is right for them or for the club or anything, then then that's their prerogative. And, and, you know, as a footballer, you have to learn to adjust to that and move forward. And I've always been one just to keep looking forward anyway mm. um, and, and have self-belief in yourself, whatever that is, whether it's football or or anything. Like you should really take control of, of what you're doing. You know, I had when I left Chesterfield, uh, well, when I got released from Chesterfield, I had offers to uh, stay in the football league and go down south um, in, into into League Two, and I, and I didn't want to. Hmm. I didn't want to. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, I didn't. I ended up taking a decision to go and train at Alfreton to get fit um, and play some games there. So I turned down clubs in League Two, albeit down south. Um, to go and play in the National League North and get fit. Mm. Um, and I got fit and then I had, I had three offers in the National League, Barrow obviously being one of them. Um, and again, the offers that I got in the National League, two of them were a lot more local to where I live than Barrow. <laughs> I'll tell you that. It's not, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's not a local <laughs> commute, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. But, but there is... A background to why I signed that obviously Evo being the main reason to go and mm. play for, for someone who I'd played with for so long so I, I knew that I would enjoy it um, but as well they train in Oldham so Oldham from Doncaster you know it, it's not that bad it's it's yeah. this side of Manchester um, and I really enjoyed my time at Barrow 
great little club, trained in Oldham on a Friday. We'd train up in Barrow on a Friday afternoon. So I'd drop the kids off at school on a Friday morning. I'd drive up to Barrow, go up with a couple of the lads. We'd always take it with a couple of the lads. We'd always take it in turns, drive up to Barrow, get into the hotel, get changed into our kit, go and train on the Friday afternoon. And then they'd look after you in the hotel. You know, they'd put you up in the hotel. You'd have your food. It was, you'd play the game on a Saturday. Um, and it's a really strange part of the country because you go up that M6 and you turn off for Barrow and you think you're nearly there and you're not because you've got another hour <laughs> on top. Um, but like I said, I really enjoyed it at Barrow. I really did enjoy my football. Uh, I got I, I invigorated my love for the game again, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a really good... I enjoyed my first, because I signed there mid-season. That last four months was really to to get myself going again. Um, and we actually finished 10th. When I signed there, we were 16th. We ended up finishing 10th. That was Evo's first season in 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 the National League as a manager. So that was a yeah. success. And then the following season, we obviously got promoted, um, mm. which which was an out, outstanding. I still think that's Evo's best achievement as a manager to date. To, to get promoted from that league is a huge, a huge achievement in itself, which will be the same for Chesterfield this year. Mm. But I think to do it with Barrow yeah, is, yeah. is, is just an, an insane achievement, really. Plus you look at the foundations that's then laid for Barrow to now be saying, actually, yeah. we can be going into League One, potentially. Well, they're doing fantastic. And the manager there, Pete Wiley, is, is doing really well, really yeah. well. Yeah. You've then obviously gone into coaching uh, yeah. and now at the PFA. Um, is it right you had a few chances to potentially go into management as well? Yeah. Yeah. So is, it, yeah. So is it... So what's kind of over the last few years then made you kind of take that step into the PFA? It was just something a bit of a bit of a change? Um, yeah. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I never really thought I would go into coaching. Hmm. I always thought I would go into something in football or around football like this, what I'm doing with the PFA or something where you're representing players, agent, you know, if you'd have asked me as a player at the time, I would have said, something what I'm doing now is something I would have always naturally naturally progressed into. Um, I enjoyed coaching. I thought I was a good coach personally, but you'd have to ask the players who've played under a bit who I've coached, if that's true. Uh, I'd like to think I was always honest with them. They knew what they were going to get and and I knew what I was talking about. And, and like I said, I enjoyed it, but there was never anything holding me to it. Mm. There was never anything holding me to it. And that's why, you know, I've, I got offered managers' roles, and and I thought, are they really right for me? Do I do I want it? Do I want it enough? Because to be a manager nowadays, I've seen ever at work is to be successful. It's twenty four hours a day. I don't I care what anybody's. It's twenty four hours a day. You you have you're sacrificing just as much and more than what a player does mm. than what a player does, and you have to be relentless in your work. Um, and I would never go into something unless I'm 100% all in. I would never do it. I, I wouldn't do it just for the money or anything. It had to be something that something that I believe in, something that gives me energy, something that I'm going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with the, with the manager's roles I got offered, you know, don't get me wrong, one of them was a, for a first-time manager, one of them was a very good one that, that any first-time manager would, would, would want to do. Um, but it just didn't feel right. It just it just didn't feel right, and and the other two that I got offered, they didn't really appeal to me anyway. Um, and then yeah, obviously I, I took this role early October, 
it's something I'd been contemplating for quite a while. Probably the logistics of what I'd been doing at Barrow and Bolton for such a long time played a part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've always been open and honest with Evo, as as he has me as well. Um, and and, I, and I, I spoke to him, I think it was in September. No, I spoke to him in the off-season, actually. Uh, we'd, we'd done two years in League One, going into our third season. I'd spoke to him in the off-season and told him, you know, I really enjoy my job, really enjoy it, but there's a few different factors that, that are working against me, um, which which in turn are, are, are kind of moving my mind astray, which is not ideal when you're a first-team coach in League One and you need to be all in. Um, yeah. But we had a chat and we said, look, you know, let's keep our heads down, let's focus on pre-season, getting the lads where we want them to be, Um which we did. We went away for pre-season, had a really good pre-season, good start to the season. It's a great club, fantastic people at the football club. Obviously, Evo was a good manager, good staff, good infrastructure, ran really well from the top. Sharon Britton, who was a great chair lady there, she's done fantastically well. Um, and they're all good people and, again, treated me fairly. Um, and I had this offer come up and I spoke to Evo about it. Um, that wasn't an easy conversation um, because I'd kind of made I'd kind of made my decision and there was no change in my mind on it. Um, so we had that conversation, which wasn't easy, but it was really good. It was mm. really good. At the same time as being work colleagues, we're also friends through football. Yeah. So um, he understood. He understood, and uh, I ended up staying there. Obviously, working a bit of my notice period until they could get the ball rolling on on who they were going to bring to bring in to transition that role. Mm-hmm. In the end, they ended up promoting from within, which I think was great for the B team manager, Matt Craddock. Um, and it's all, you know, adapt and move on. Yeah. <laughs> adapt <laughs> and move on. <laughs> and you're there with, is you working with Richie Humphreys then? Yeah, Richie's, I'm in Richie's department. Yeah, we've got um, the PFA in the last, somebody told me they've been doing a big recruitment drive over the last 12 months. We've now got, I think it's, it's either almost 100 or just over 100 people staff in, in, in the PFA now, which is around double what it was 18 months ago. I think that's come largely from, obviously, Gordon Taylor left and, and Mahetta Malongo took over uh, in his role. Um, and I think that the processes and what, what we're trying to do as an organisation, certainly offering more presence within the football clubs as a union, is something that, that we're looking to do. And yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm in Richie's department. We've got 12 in our department uh, Simon Barker is our our boss um, and our job primarily is representing the players you know we we go out and visit the football clubs uh, deliver our own presentations on on what the union can offer to a player what support that we offer in terms of disciplinary support dispute uh, dispute support any support really that the players need or any signposting that they need to different departments we are there to to help the players and support the players. Um, mm. We obviously, as as a union, we offer different workshops and training, and we'll go in with them departments and, and support their workshops, support their deliveries, and sometimes just go in at the football clubs informally. Where someone said to me the other day, a, a union representative in rugby doesn't have to have the permission of the club. Basically, they they can go in whenever they want, any day they want make a cup of tea, sit and have some lunch, sit and have a chat with the players. 
is kind of mandatory that that's allowed in rugby. And I think that's where Mahetta would like it to get to in football. I don't think it will. I don't think it will. We, Our department, we still have to build our relationships and mediate with the clubs. Like We are there to represent the players, obviously, but effectively for us to get into the clubs, you are mm-hmm. dealing with CEOs, club secretaries, head of footballs, head of admin, people like that, to um, to get in and see the players. Mm. Yeah. And like I say, an important role, especially when, like we've been saying in, in football, it's kind of a different beast to a lot of workplaces, isn't it? Is. It? <laughs> it is, yeah. And I think... I think back to when I was a player and um, Richard Jobson was my PFA representative and um, he was a really good jobbo. We saw him quite regular, but then I speak to a lot of players at clubs and, and, you know, they didn't see anybody much. So it's almost raising that awareness of them having a union because it is quite, you're in a bubble. And I think if you were, if you're working in the NHS, you would be well in, you would be well aware of who the union are and who, who to contact. If you were a teacher, it's the teachers' unions huge, um, so I think it's kind of getting to a point for for us now is we you know making players aware that they have their own union to represent them for for advice or support or anything they might need in or out of football, mm. um, and ultimately making sure that they're well looked after. So to sign off then, in terms of Chesterfield, you, you're you're right up there in terms of the top appearance makers in the history of the yeah. club. That must be yeah. that must be a nice thing to. It is, and I've never. It is, and I've never been asked back. <laughs> I've never been asked back. I've never been asked the lounge or anything. Never been asked back. <laughs> never. But yeah, I, I would like to think at two hundred thirty-seven, I'm pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, you're top twenty. I don't know what your exact number is. I'll have to look at it on the sheet. But you're certainly yeah. right, right up there with the amount of mm-hmm. appearances. You're always welcome to come and sit next to me, but it's yeah. only in the east stand, and <laughs> you, you get the rain and the bad weather and everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think I prefer somewhere a bit warmer. Where, well, yeah. well, you've got the option to go and so have somewhere a bit warmer at half yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, what were your like highlights then with Chesterfield? You had a paint trophy final. Came on as a sub in the paint trophy final, which we. That was a good day. That was a good day. Um, obviously, won the league, playoff, uh, lots of different managers, lots mm. of different experiences. I imagine just your Chesterfield time has given you enough experience to be a good player rep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. definitely. Well, do you know what? I had six years at Chesterfield and I had five years at Doncaster. So, I, you know, I've been at, you see different people's careers where they have 30 clubs. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're at one club, you see a lot more change. You see a lot, so it gives you them experiences, yeah, um, good and bad. So I've, I've um, I really enjoyed my career. I really did. Like mm. I said, it was disappointing how it ended at Chesterfield, but I managed to um, go on and enjoy it elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I've had a lot of experiences, and um, hopefully, you're just trying to pass them experiences down, aren't you? Really, mm. that's that's part of my role now. Is Obviously, we, we you know we deliver different workshops and in a professional way. You've got training to to go to disciplinaries and disputes, but a lot of it is passing your experiences on and and helping players, helping mm. players. And the more you get into the clubs, the more you can do that. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on and uh, being so so honest. It's been good to have a chat with you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Beautifully done from O'Shea. He delivers the cross, and the finish is provided by Sam Hurt. They are back on terms early in this second half. Lovely floated ball in from O'Shea and Hurd attacking it, made it his. Chesterfield just at the moment 
they find a way through the mass ranks of the defence? Oh, they certainly can. It's Gary Roberts who's done it. Two goals in four minutes for Chesterfield to turn it around. And they are heading for the League 2 title as it stands. Stunning season here, sealed in some style. Fleetwood may yet join them in League 1 next season. But it's Chesterfield who celebrate.